Hey, Flaunt Squad. Oh, my goodness. I am so excited because I got a chance to interview Kevin Moore from Reembody. I learned about Kevin via this group called Fit Fatties on Facebook that celebrates fat people, women and men who are just really enjoying fitness or trying to get more fit and fit does not equal skinny, just loving the bodies that they're in already. So I learned about Kevin Moore on a YouTube video that somebody posted in the group and I said, oh my goodness, I need to have him on the show. He is wonderful. You can check out his videos on YouTube. I think they're under Reembody or Kevin Moore, but they're easy to find. And he's talking about all of the physics, well, many of the aspects of physics that go into movement and also loving your body as is and really enjoying movement in the body that you already have because you don't have to wait for a body to come along to enjoy your body. That makes absolutely no sense. It makes just as much sense as what I just said, my sentence. That didn't make much sense either. But anyway, speaking of which, I am super excited to be speaking at the Fat Activism Conference this year. It's a virtual conference, so you can listen to the talks live on your computer or on your phone or your iPad or whatever you use to listen to whatever you want to listen to social, you know, you know, just use your devices. You also get recordings and transcripts so that you can read and listen at your convenience. The conference will take place October 6th through 8th, and it's for all people, all people, all sizes who are interested in creating a world that respects the diversity of body sizes and who are interested in fighting the bullying, stigmatizing shame and oppression faced by fat people and want to work through that with a whole host of different kinds of people from different backgrounds. The conference even offers a pay what you can afford option to make sure that it's financially accessible to all. And you can go register and find out more details at fact, fatactivismconference.com. That's fatactivismconference.com. That's going to be huge. And that's going to be really, really exciting. I'm excited to see all of the wonderful speakers who are going to be speaking. I'm going to be talking. And so I'm just super excited about that. Anyway, I want you to really enjoy this interview with Kevin Moore from Reembody. And shout out to... Our DJ who creates our wonderful music here. That's DJ Stack Chip. And please excuse some of the technical difficulties and some of the the the, the problems with the sound in this interview. I just still wanted to publish this interview because it's so good. And Kevin gives so much good information and inspiration. All right, Flying Squad, enough of me yapping off at the mouth. Enjoy the interview with Kevin Moore from Reembody. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so happy you are here. We had some technical difficulties before, but I'm glad that we have you on the line now. Kevin, I learned about you in this group I'm in that is geared toward 
um, larger plus size um, fitness enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So please tell us how you became such a, an icon in the fitness industry when it comes to especially loving your body as is. Well, oddly enough, it was never uh, it wasn't what I set out to do. Um, I was kind of a you know nerdy physics type uh, who just kind of happened to get into exercise stuff, and I originally was writing about um, physics of biomechanics. And my first few blog entries were just kind of me being kind of a geek about stuff I thought was cool and no one really seemed to care. Uh, but then, you know, the more I got involved in writing about this stuff, the more, I, more time I kind of had to spend reading what other people were writing. And I got very alarmed, frankly, at the amount of um, casual body shaming that went on in the general health and wellness industry. And until I was kind of in it, I didn't really notice it for how ubiquitous and and damaging it was. And I remember one day I I read an article uh, that someone had posted, frankly, I forget the person's name, it's on my website, uh, about, he was a massage therapist and he he wrote this very beautiful piece about what human bodies really look like. And it was his observations of being a massage therapist for many years and what he sees in people's bodies. And it was so, it was really beautiful. And reading that that day, and then also having seen all of these fitness memes and these body shaming advertisements in the same day, really hit me hard. Uh, and so I wrote an article, and it was kind of an angry article. It was, it was um, about the irresponsibility of these damaging fitness memes uh, that get shared all over the place. And... Lo and behold, uh, the following day, I had like 10,000 readers. When before that, in every article I'd ever written, it had only been like 40, 50 people had ever read anything I, I ever wrote. But I wrote this kind of angry rant about about uh, shaming, and 10,000 people in one day read it. And I had no idea there was this kind of um, fervor behind wanting a new way to look at this. And so... With by the end of the week, or by the end of the month, rather, I had like a million reads on that article, and it just absolutely blew me away. The kind of uh, support b- behind this message, and so I decided to completely re- remake what I was doing and, and and make it about reaching out to those people. Kevin, why do you think there's so much body shaming in the fitness industry? Well, um, I think the, the short answer is I think because it works. And when I, when I say works, I mean it works for the industry, right? It, if we're talking about trying to make money, scaring people and making them feel dissatisfied with themselves is an easy way to sell them a product. Um, and so from a purely marketing standpoint, it's, it's an effective strategy, but it is not an effective strategy for actually helping people to feel better. And this has been studied. Uh, I, I have a colleague named Patrick Mustaine. Uh, he used to work for the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Research, and um, and this has been studied and found that that shaming really does not, not only does it not help people make positive change toward health outcomes, it actually can inhibit that process. Um, and and so we have this disconnect in the industry where we're, we're they're really good at making money. It's a very quickly growing industry, but the consumers who are paying for it are getting decreasingly are getting uh, um, 
decreasing returns. You know, they're they're not getting what they're paying for uh, or what they think they're getting. Now, you're going against the grain of the fitness industry's idea that people only exercise for aesthetic reasons. Is this really a wise business decision for you, Kevin? Um, well, <laughs> uh, maybe not. But here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say. One of the things I have been surprised by since I started Reembody, and even when it was even just about physics and biomechanics, is that <clears throat> in health and fitness... There is a lot of what we'll call conventional wisdom that we take for granted that I'm starting to realize really, really needs to be reassessed. A lot of things that we just think are true because they're said all the time um, uh, may not be true. And this goes, this goes for things like technique, right? For things, you know, basic concepts like what it means to stand up straight or what it means to slouch uh, or where the pain in our muscles comes from. The, the kind of basic ideas that we all think we know, I think, can be challenged. And as you know, pursuant to your question, this business model of, well, if you want to make money in fitness, you have to, you know, quote unquote, motivate people to to be dissatisfied with their bodies and therefore want to change them. That's just accepted as being true. And I am I am perfectly willing to take a hit at the beginning to challenge that if it means that a different culture can emerge later. And I really actually think that it can. You said the word motivate sarcastically. Why? Because, uh, as I was saying, body shaming can motivate people to buy things, but it cannot motivate people to change. Uh, And if somebody is in a position where they are uncomfortable... Uh, either from pain uh, due to poor fitness quality or poor health outcomes, um, or even if they're just unsatisfied with, with what they like to do, right? If a person wants to be able to do more, you know, with they can at the moment. Um, if we're in a situation where that's happening and the person wants that to change, in my experience, the only way for that change to be sustainable is if the person starts from the perspective that they that they love who they are and they want something good for themselves, willing to work for it. But if you start from, I'm, I am faulty the way that I am, then the amount of self-sabotage that will kind of creep into a person's daily behavior is, is really pretty extraordinary. It's really, it really has to start with loving yourself. And I think that I, I say motivating sarcastically because that word gets used so much. We hear that so much in fitness rhetoric, but it's always attached to um, a shaming image or a shaming idea. And I don't think that's motivated. It's motivated by, it's not motivated to change. How do you get people to love themselves before, you know, as they're working on, you know, fitness and everything. How do you as a trainer get people to really go deep into themselves and love themselves? Oh, this is, I love this question. Okay. So (laughs) I, I love my job. I love my job so much. And part of the reason why I love my job is that, um, daily I'm doing research and working with people about how bodies work. And I am continually in awe of 
just the simple fact that our bodies work at all. I mean, it's such an amazing structure. And the processes that allow us to live, just casually walk around on this planet and live, are extraordinary. And what I try to do with people, especially someone who comes in with a perspective of, you know, they come into me because, you know, they think their knees hurt because they're fat, right? If they come in with that kind of mindset, the first thing that I want to try to show them is all the amazing things their body is doing right now that they don't know about, we don't talk about, or maybe are being ignored for some of these other aesthetic qualities. Um, uh, the example I'll give, just just to kind of throw it out there, uh, the iliofemoral ligament. It's it's the strongest ligament in the body and attaches the femur to the pelvis. It's one of the fig- uh, ligaments that does that. Um, is an extraordinarily powerful uh, ligament. And it can hold like 20 times your body weight in tensile strength. And it's just this it's just this casual piece of tissue that moves around with you all day long and it's not a muscle, you don't have to grow it, you don't have to work it, you don't have to stretch it. It's just there. It's just this tool that you have in your body right now and every time you move, it's there protecting you. And it's that kind of um amazing quality to our bodies that I want people to understand. And so I do a lot of this, a lot of teaching about here's these processes that work for you every day that maybe you don't know about. You stated in one of your YouTube videos that a person's size does not dictate their fitness. Absolutely. Can you explain that? Yeah. So when I, when I made that video, um, it was because I had just worked with a client who uh, said something that I'd heard many, many times, and, I, and it finally kind of pushed me over the edge a little bit, where their, uh, I think in this case it was their doctor, had told them that the reason they were having all this uh, pain in their feet, they, I think they were, had plantar fasciitis, the reason they were having all this pain in their feet was because they were overweight, and that the additional weight that they were walking around with was putting too much pressure on their feet, and that's what's causing the pain. And that is frankly absurd absolutely absurd as i was just mentioning a second ago about this iliofemoral ligament most of the structures of the the body are capable of managing many times your body weight and you know the the addition or subtraction of of 50 60 70 80 pounds of additional body weight is nothing The, the 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 joints of the skeleton don't even notice that kind of increase and but there's this continual narrative, especially in the medical community, that that obesity is is not just correlated but causal with joint pain, and and it's it's not true. It's just not true. I mean, there are certainly behavior correlations, right? So the same kind of behaviors that would tend to lead to weight gain may also lead to joint pain. So they are correlated, but they are not causal. And so I made that video because I really wanted to say it like out loud where it could be argued with if we need to or discussed uh, and hopefully um, to be taken a little hope from for people that do suffer from joint pain that, that there's another way. We don't, we don't have to stick to this rigid narrative that, that you have to lose weight if you want your joints to be healthy. That's just not true. Kevin, what are some of those behaviors that can lead to both joint pain um, and excess weight. 
Well, I'd say the biggest one is probably sedentary lifestyle. So, uh, and this is and this is this is a real thing, right? So this is a real problem that faces uh, modern people right now. That you know we are we are evolved to live in an environment where calories are difficult to get and require us to move to get them. And not necessarily stressful movement, but I mean, like, if we think about a kind of hunter-gatherer scenario, uh, if I'm hungry, uh, I have to go collect the food I'm going to eat. And that can be relatively easy movement, right? It could be picking raspberries in a field. It's not hard to do, but it's movement. Um, whereas for a modern person, I, I can move almost not, not at all and have a more or less infinite supply of calories. And so while every cell in my body is, is geared towards getting as much energy as it can and using as little as possible to do it, I now live in a world where that, um, uh, that impetus can make me sick, right? It can make me sick to the point where I have more calories than my body knows how to handle and I'm not moving my body very much at all. So sedentary behavior is probably the biggest... Um, linking factor there. How do you suggest people start breaking away from movement for weight loss to movement for real fitness? Well, uh, I would, the short answer is fun. This <laughs> um, is something I honestly believe. I think, again, there is a narrative that if we could, all of us would sit around and do nothing and be lazy uh, and just eat junk food all the time, right? It's like if there wasn't some moral reason not to do that, that's what everybody would do. And again, I'll say I think that's absurd because for anybody who's in a situation where where either pain has led them to become more sedentary or some kind of cultural issue has led them to become more sedentary or depression or whatever, uh, being sedentary and eating a lot of food that is not nutrient-dense, right, or nutrient-poor doesn't feel good, right? Nobody actually likes doing that. And we only do it because of these other external pressures, again, depression, pain, cultural factors, uh, isolation, loneliness, like all of these things influence these, these kind of dysfunctional behaviors. And so what we need to, to start moving more is not to put on more pressure, but it's, I believe it's to have more fun. It's to realize that the reason, you're, the reason that a person is sedentary is not because that's what they want. That's not really what they want. What they want is to feel good in their bodies, and there is a way to do that. Um, social movement is uh, one of the things that's been shown to have a really positive impact. So there are these walking groups, walking lives, they're called, where uh, and, it's, and it's often targeted at people who have been either sedentary or have had some kind of health issue, which has made it very difficult for them to move. But these social groups will get together and just walk. And the idea is you're just spending time with people that you care about and talking while you do it and just moving around casually. And for most of us, that's enough to trigger this feeling, this kind of endorphin rush, this happiness that comes from being in your body. Your body is an absolutely wonderful mechanism. And being in it feels great. But we have to 
believe that that can be true before we can prove ourselves that it's true. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it actually leads me to this question I've been wanting to ask you. Because you have a quote that says, everybody is astonishing just as it is. And true health stems from first understanding how your body works. But I think a lot of people, because of the fitness industry, we don't really delve into how our individual bodies work. How do we begin to understand how our individual bodies work? Well, uh, I'll go ahead and put in a little shameless self-promotion here at this point, uh, because this is exactly what Reembody is designed to do. So um, the resources on uh, the Reembody page right now, like the articles and the videos, are all meant to be snapshots that are uh, accessible by regular people. You don't have to have a clinical background. You don't have to know anything about anatomy. Uh, you, know, you don't have to even have an exercise background, right? But my goal was to produce media that anybody could watch and say, wow, that's really cool. I'm really happy that I have an iliofemoral ligament. I think that's really cool that my eyes work that way, etc." Um, and then from those lights of pride that we can start taking in the bodies that we have right now, and again, as you're saying, astonishing just as it is, not after you work on it, not after you lose weight, not after you stretch, whatever. Right now, there are processes going on inside your body that would blow your mind if you knew about them. And I... I have a way that I am presenting this information that I think is digestible by regular people. And so I would recommend the first thing people do is go to the website and read the articles. I have a couple articles entitled The Great Thing About You. I'm and sorry, your phone went out. It's, it's The Great Thing About What? Uh, so the articles are titled The Great Thing About You. Okay. And there's a couple of them. There's a part one, part two, part three. Um, there, might, there might be more, I guess. But... Uh, but each of them focuses on a different piece of the body, part of the body that's really pretty cool, just as it is, and you don't really have to do anything to get it. You just have it, just born with it. Kevin, we are runners at Flaunt Performance Podcast, and you are a physics person. Let's talk about this. <laughs> mm, excellent. How do we harness more power in our runs? Oh, man, oh, another great question. So I, I love to run. I love to run, but I didn't always love to run. And the change really came when I decided that running didn't have to be about pushing myself to um, achieve an external goal, right? Like run faster or run farther. I, I put those goals off to the side for a second, and I made the act of running essentially a form of meditation. And what I mean by that is that when I'm running, I'm listening to how my body is responding to the world around me. And don't worry, I'll get to more specifics here in a minute, but I just want to, I want to get the philosophy in place here. I'm, I'm really listening to what my body is telling me. And I think for a lot of runners, one of the first things that gets in the way, not uh, both of performance, like how well they run, like you said, about how they can harness power, uh, but also in terms of wanting to keep running, uh, is that when we are uncomfortable in our run, we don't do anything about it. We assume that that's just a normal part of running. 
right? Like running is supposed to be, you know, mildly stressful on the body and, and, you know, to occasionally have little niggling pains here and there. And I really actually don't think that's true. I think that humans are evolved. Well, I am sure that humans are evolved to be extremely efficient runners. Um, so specifically, once one has committed to sensing, really sensing and listening to how their body responds to the ground, here are a couple of things you can do right away to increase that ability to recoil from your impact. The first is that almost everybody runs with their hips too far behind them. And that the, the, the cue I like to give is that when you're running, it should feel like if you were going to run through a doorway, that your pelvis would be the first thing to go through the door. So a hips-forward running style is much more um, advantageous at absorbing impact and also at generating propulsion. You know, Kevin, I'm thinking about that. I do not run with my pelvis forward at all as you're talking. And I guess Mm -hmm. it is. Why do we run like that? If most people run with their, you know, their back ends out, why do we run like that? Well, there's, there's, it's not just one thing. Um, you know, and if, if we had a couple hours, we could go over some of it. <laughs> but here's, here's the kind of basic idea. Um, the central nervous system has essentially two goals. The first is to keep you safe. Your brain is working tirelessly, tirelessly all the time to make sure that the next thing you do isn't going to hurt you. The other thing the brain is really excited about is efficiency. It wants to try to, like I was saying before, it wants to be able to do as much as it can for as little energy as possible. And this is fueled by uh, what we call proprioception. Proprioception means uh, where your brain thinks you are in space, right? So when you when you do like a field sobriety test where you have to take your finger and place it on the tip of your nose, that's using your proprioception, where your brain thinks all these pieces are in, are in space. But for most of us modern people, for you know, because of the just the general modern lifestyle, which again is is more sedentary, even for very active people, more sedentary than our ancestors. Uh, you know, the shoes that we wear, which desensitize the the sensory surfaces of our feet. The surfaces that we run on, which are which have very little give, um, and and are more, they're, they're textured to be more dangerous rather than to be more. Uh, 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 sorry, I was saying that the surfaces that we tend to run on are are more dangerous and less. I, I use the term communicative, meaning that our our bodies don't get as much information from running on concrete or asphalt as they do from running on grass or or dirt. Um. And so the, the result of all this uh, is that as adults, as modern adults, our proprioception is not as robust as it is intended to be in a, from a from biological standpoint. Follow me there? Yeah. And it means, that, it means that in order to keep us safe, our brain has to use kind of compensatory styles of movement. So we have to move in ways that are just a little bit different than how we are designed to move to make up for this lack of proprioception. And one of the things that's very common is that 
the brain is very concerned about the possibility of falling, in particular, toward the non-dominant side of the body. There's a lot more detail to go into there, and I won't, I won't go into that right now. But suffice to say, the brain pushes the hips back in a very specific way to avoid the potential of you falling toward your non-dominant side. Okay. So what does that mean? <laughs> so <fun. laughs> Um, well, what it means is for the casual runner, uh, they have built up a, a, a self image as they run of what they think they look like when they run and what feels appropriate, right? What feels like center, what feels like good posture, what feels like where you're supposed to be. We're going to generally call that a person's perception of how they run. And what I'm saying is that to get more power, I'm very comfortable saying that everyone listening to this is probably running with their hips too far backwards. That's just a super common thing that almost everyone does. And if we can commit to feeling like our hips are starting to swing forward more, like we said, going through the doorway first, the first thing people will notice is that it feels really bizarre, that they feel like they look ridiculous because it's going to challenge their self-image, like their proprioceptive map is not going to understand why they're doing that. <laughs> But I'm also confident that if people can commit to having that more forward pelvis position, they will start to notice more of a springy behavior in their feet, ankles, and knees. Uh, and a lot of the kind of slogging, quad-driven muscle contraction that keeps our legs forward is going to quiet way down if we can get the hips just a little bit more forward. Kevin, I'm trying to picture it because I know we're we're an audio podcast. Okay, so mm -hmm. the hips are forward. Are the back is the back like back as well? Like how is it? How's the rest of our body? Okay, so I'll, I'll see if I can describe this um, because this actually bumps up against another very common misconception about posture. Uh, Especially for people who are running enthusiasts, they've often been given the cue that they should, quote, run tall. Yes. Okay. So this is a deeply confusing cue uh, in that for most people, when they try to, to run tall, what they end up doing is lifting the rib cage so that in the spinal column, what's really happening is there's this little middle section in the spine where the low back and the upper back meet. And this little junction is a really unstable part of the spine. The body really wants that part to be very, very stable. And if we start lifting up the rib cage, it destabilizes that region, and the muscles of the back have to clench down really hard to protect it. Now, for us, we will feel like we are very upright. Shoulders back, chest out. It's going to feel like confidence. It's going to feel like good posture, like you're doing the right thing. But... Unfortunately, that's stealing some energy from your stride. Now, when the hips come forward, that feeling like you're just saying, what's the back doing? The feeling of the back leaning back, that extension in the spine is going to feel a little more exaggerated at first. And what I, what I frankly encourage people to do, actually, is to slouch, is to let the sternum, the rib cage, sink a little. I'll give you an image here. The image that I use is... My rib cage meant to protect all my internal organs, right? So I like to imagine 
that I'm sliding my rib cage down over more of my organs. Like I want my rib cage to cover more of those sensitive organs underneath. And if I slide my rib cage down to create that protection, that's going to kind of buoy the spine. It's going to lengthen up the spine. The trick part is it's going to make the runner feel shorter. They're going to feel like they're closer to the ground, but the truth is their spinal column will actually be longer. It's a weird proprioceptive illusion. Yeah, I'm, it, it, it does sound very weird, but it does sound like it can help to prevent shock. Yes, and that's, that's exactly what it is, Aja, that the spinal column is shaped the way it is because it needs to be an effective shock absorber. And when we run tall, what we do is essentially flatten out the curves of our spine. And, and as soon as we flatten out those curves, we're not absorbing shock very efficiently anymore. And however bizarre it might feel to bring the hips forward and let the rib cage come down, uh, it is a much more comfortable position both to stand in and to run in. And the other thing that I'll say about this is that uh, you know, okay. If you look at my phone, my my uh, the phone I carry with me when I go to my sessions, and you flip through, I've got hundreds of pictures of my clients standing in profile. And the reason is, when I will adjust people so that they're in a standing position where their spinal curves are are protected, and they've got this real beautiful, you know, mild curvature in all the places of the spine where it's supposed to be. What they're feeling in their mind is that they look like Quasimodo. <laughs> And so I take a picture and I show them that they're really actually standing perfectly straight. Like if you saw them on the street, you'd say that person has really nice posture. But what they feel is that they're way too curvy and way too top heavy and forward. And getting over these proprioceptive illusions is really one of the first parts of sessions that I teach with people one-on-one -on -one, is how do, we, how do we take our self-image and match it with reality in a way that's more accurate. This sounds, I mean, <laughs> this sounds great. Now, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that humans are evolved to be efficient runners. Are you saying that we shouldn't have any pains whatsoever when we run? Uh, that is exactly what I'm saying. Yes. And in a nutshell, assuming that environmental factors or cultural factors did not prevent us in like early development from gaining all of the kind of proprioception stuff I talked about before we need, then yes, an adult human should be able to run painlessly for a long time. Now, this is not, again, that, that can be easily interpreted as if, you, if, if a person's listening to this and saying, well, I can't do that, so clearly I've done something wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying here. In fact, I'm, I'm saying two things I hope will be much happier, happier news than that. The first is that if a person is experiencing pain in their run, it's not your fault. That's the most important thing I want people to realize. It's not your fault. We, the, the, the lifestyle that we live as modern people, that's culturally appropriate, that's been handed down to us, just isn't that great for our bodies. And that's not, it's not on you. Okay? Secondly, the other kind of good news here is that it's changeable. And in fact, it's not even that hard, Aja. It really isn't that hard. But you have to know what you're doing. And unfortunately, at the moment, most of the fitness industry 
has no idea about this stuff. Uh, frankly, if I'm being really honest, most of the medical industry doesn't have any idea about this stuff. And and what Reimbody is all about right now is trying to do grassroots education so that individual people can start taking better care of themselves with information that's going to help them right away, rather than having to filter through uh, an expert, quote unquote, who who may or may not know anything about about evolutionary biomechanics. Kevin, I think we need to clone you. Do you have any? <laughs> do you have any training for trainers for running trainers? Well, Yes. So, in fact, some really exciting things have been happening with Reembody very recently. Um, I just uh, what six weeks ago hosted my first Reembody certified apprentice training, um, and fifteen people uh, are now certified apprentices who are now using this method. I'm now not the only person in the world doing this. There's now sixteen of us doing this. Um, and the results have been fantastic. They're, they're, they're doing really good work with their clients. And um, frankly, it's surpassed my, my wildest expectations. And it was so good that we're doing another one coming up November 30th. Uh, it's a four-day training, 20 hours. Uh, and it's a kind of a baseline. Anybody can do it. Again, you don't have to be a, a movement professional. Anyone can do it. Um, and it gives you these foundational principles on how to assess the way that people move so that you can make smart choices about what to do next. And it's, it's, uh, it's really been going well. So I would strongly encourage people, if they're interested uh, in doing this kind of work, either for themselves or helping other people, and I really hope there's people out there listening who want to help other people because, man, I need your help, guys. I really need your help. <laughs> you mentioned the re-embody method. Can we talk yeah. about that for a minute? What if if I am one of your clients, what will I go through in order to be brought into this re-embody method? What is it? So there's a couple different parts. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this. First of all, like you said, if you were my client, right, and you, you, know, you came into my studio or we were doing a Skype session and, you know, you want to get something uh, uh, repaired or some performance improved. The first thing would be education. So I would do, I have a kind of a, a short lesson that I'll teach to everybody I meet with for the first time that sets up a framework for, in general, how does the human body interact with the forces in our environment? Gravity, friction, air pressure, etc. Um, and it's very simple and it's very quick. And, and I've designed it such that everybody can, everybody can kind of get on board with this lesson pretty early. Then, after that, there's typically some, if we're in person, there's typically some manual manipulation. Again, I, I'm starting from the, from the idea that most of us don't have as robust a proprioception as we really need to move efficiently. And so I will help kind of move people's bones into positions that maybe they didn't realize were possible, right? Or didn't realize were in that proprioceptive map. And so I'll kind of help people as I'm talking kind of manually, manually move them where they need to go. And then following that, it's typically, uh, it's just like coaching, right? So uh, I'll have a set of movements. And again, the movements themselves are not special. I don't, it's not like Pilates, right? Where I've got like a list of exercises you're supposed to do. In fact, I'm adamantly opposed to doing it that way. But depending on the person, I'll have a series of movements that we can improvise where the goal is to take the 
the principles that we learned in the education section of the session and try to see if we can do simple movements like standing, walking, sitting, running, whatever, with these principles in mind and then kind of watch to see how the nervous system reorganizes the skeleton. So it's education, manual manipulation, and coaching are the three things that I do. This sounds fantastic. How can people get in contact with you? Uh, the easiest way to the website, and in fact, I'm, 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 I'm excited to say that the, the website I've been using for the past four years is finally getting overhauled, and we've got a new one launching at the end of this month. But if you go to uh, reembody.me, uh, there is a contact me section on the webpage. That's a really easy way to get in touch with me. Um, uh, my email address is kevin at reembody.me. I welcome emails all the time. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. People comment on there all the time. But I would say for kind of personal direct questions, through the website is the easiest way. Kevin, do you have any more words of inspiration for our fat, voluptuous, plus-size runners out here? Yes. Um, the, the health and wellness world, I mean all of it, all the way from from your doctor to your personal trainer really hasn't been doing right by you for a long time. And I get that. And the thing that I want people to know more than anything is that you can do this. You're not broken. You're not faulty. You haven't done anything wrong. And there's no reason that you can't have a healthy, happy lifestyle. And it's, and it's going to be easier than you think. But you've got, if you can, you've got to tune out all of these messages telling you that you're broken. If there's one thing to remember, it is that you are not broken. 